Recommended is brought to you today by Book Riot's own Annotated Podcast. Annotated is an audio documentary podcast series focused on books, language, and reading. Put simply, if you like books and you like podcasts like This American Life, Planet Money, or 99% Invisible, you are going to like Annotated. Each episode focuses on an influential, interesting, or just plain entertaining topic related to something bookish. And at just about 20 minutes each, the episodes are perfect for your commute or getting stuff done around the house. You can find Annotated wherever you get your podcasts or at bookriot.com backslash annotated. Here are two episodes that are great places to start. Episode number three, the story of Belle da Costa Green, the world's most glamorous librarian who kept a dangerous secret for her entire life. And episode number six, love, punctuation, and the Oxford comma. This episode investigates the Oxford comma and starts improbably with a love story, a really cute and nerdy love story. And that is Annotated, a podcast for book people. This is Recommended, where we talk to interesting people about their favorite books. In this episode, Sylvain Nouvelle picked The Andromeda Strain by Michael Crichton, and Tayari Jones discusses Meridian by Alice Walker. Sylvain Nouvelle is the author of the Themis Files trilogy. The series blends science fiction and apocalyptic thriller and is told in the cutting-edge cadences of interviews, journal entries, transcripts, and news articles. The most recent installment, Only Human, is now available wherever books are sold. Based in Montreal, Nouvelle is also a linguist and translator and is at work on an R2-D2 replica and his next novel. My name is Sylvain Nouvelle, and The Andromeda Strain is my recommended. Here's, in a nutshell, what the book's all about. Uh, it was written in 1969, so there's a virus from space that lands on Earth when a satellite crashes. And this team of scientists is put together to try and stop the virus from wiping out life on Earth. And they enter this top-secret underground facility and try to find a cure for it. The Andromeda Strain is a book that I read when I was a teenager. So I first read it in French. It was called uh, something like La Varieté Andromède, which is a horrible translation. But, uh, you know, I didn't speak English, so that's what I did. I read French translation, Crichton, Clancy. They, I don't know, the, the, at the time, the subject sounded interesting. And it's a book that really left an impression and that influenced, I guess, my writing, especially the, the Themis Files in some ways. When I started the Themis Files, my first thought wasn't, uh, well, I, I'm going to, you know, take a few things from the Andromeda strain. But uh, unconsciously, yeah, probably. There are two books that sort of made me like quirky books that put a different spin on things. That one and Les Liaisons Dangereuses, Dangerous Liaisons, which was the first epistolary novel that I read. And so if you combine these two things, I, I didn't put computer graphs everywhere, uh, but there are alien symbols in my books. But yeah, they were probably the two books that influenced uh, the Themis Files the most. My favorite character or scene from the book, I would have to go with a scene at the end, and a lot of people hated that scene, but okay, so they've contained, the, well, they think they've contained the virus, but it mutates again, and it starts eating at uh, rubber gaskets, which somehow will cause the world to end in one way or another, and the facility they're in goes into self-destruct mode, nuclear self-destruct. And so you have this computer voice. It was written in the 60s, so it's a sultry female computer voice, apparently. Starts counting down from 30 seconds to zero. And the whole chapter is this guy 
trying to insert some gizmo or push a red button because you you have to push the button while dodging i don't know poison gas and, and the computer is shooting uh tranquilizer darts at him the whole time it, it, it's so over the top and absurd and ridiculous but it's so fun to read at the same time that has to be my favorite scene why did that book impress me so much i have no idea i i if i had to to sort of analyze it it was more of a visceral experience for me but it showed me that you could do you could do anything really i mean that book is so over the top it starts with a warning that you're reading a top secret document and you can go to jail if you share it with anyone then you go to the acknowledgments and instead of thanking his editor he thanks the participants in this project and you know talks about how this had to be shared so that the world would know and the beginning of it, I think, is interesting because it gives the book, like the uh, physical object, some sort of meaning, like, like you would in a, if you were reading an epistolary novel. But he does tell the story in a sort of more traditional third-person narrator. But you still get that sense that you're, you're not reading a, a like a normal story. It's also filled with graphics and maps and computer printouts and diagrams and all sorts of weird things that you never find in a novel. And of course, you have a 30 second super slow motion scene of a guy being chased by a crazy computer who wants to blow up the lab where he's at and shooting uh, tranquilizer darts at him. I mean, it just showed me that you could there was no limits to what you could do. This is a book that shouldn't exist. And yet it's super entertaining for a book that was written in 1969. I do find myself recommending it quite often. That said, to say that this book is not without its flaws would be the understatement of the century. <laughs> but it's still fun. It's interesting, in part because, well, uh, my adult mind looks at things slightly differently than the 15-year-old me. Also, that book was written before I was even born, so it, it suffers from a few of the things that stories uh, <laughs> written in that era uh, usually suffer from. There's a, a hint of sexism here and there. Single males are chosen for their ability to react best to this kind of situation and, and so on. Uh, you have the female computer voice uh, that I think one of the characters even hits on at some point. It's, it's safe to say that at, at least that Crichton wasn't at the, on the front lines of the battle for women's rights. But if you manage to sort of get over some of those things, it's a very interesting book. I think one of the things that makes this one of my favorite books is that I read it as a teenager. And at the time, I, I wasn't, you know, spending or automatically going into writer mode and overanalyzing everything. Uh, I just read it for fun and it did the job that it was supposed to do. And perhaps because of that, I'm able to read it again now and sort of get the same thrill. There are very few books that I've read as an adult where I was able to sort of stop my brain from going into full analytic mode, which, you know, I get used to, but can sometimes ruin the experience a little bit. There were large parts of The Martian that felt like that, where I was just flipping pages, smiling. Not necessarily all of it, but certainly big parts of that. My first reading of Red Rising was like that. Pierce Brown's brain works in a way that is like completely different from mine. And I didn't see things coming when I thought I had something pinned down. He twisted it in a way that I, I didn't see. One of the things about Crichton that, that I like is that, at least at the time, I had no idea I was reading science fiction. I was reading, so comparing this to the Hunt for Red October, I had no clue that these were different things. You had, you know, it was happening here now. You had people facing a crisis, whether it was a 
rogue submarine or a virus from space made sort of little difference to me. I guess it sort of shaped my appreciation of uh, or my definition of what genres should be. I, I don't like boxes. I never have. And it's one of the things I like about that book is at least when I was 15, I had no clue that I was reading science fiction. To me, science fiction was in space and had aliens and spaceships. Well, this has alien viruses, but it doesn't count. When I was 15, I didn't really see the boundaries between genre really well. And now that I know that most of what Crichton wrote was, is, well, a different kind of animal than what, say, Tom Clancy wrote at the time. But I still don't feel it. I know it, but I... I don't know. There's something that I, I find this connection between books like The Andromeda Strain or even Jurassic Park and something like The Hunt for Red October. To me, they're the same kind of experience. And that's what I hope to do with my own stuff, to blur the lines between genres. People ask me what kind of books I write, and I usually say, well, I write grounded sci-fi, but I don't like the question. I certainly don't like my answer. I've never liked boxes. I don't know. One of the things that keeps coming up in reviews of my books is, you know, I never read science fiction, but I, I really enjoy that. Uh, I think it's the sort of best compliment I can get. Thanks again to Sylvain Nouvelle for joining us and recommending The Andromeda Strain by Michael Crichton. Only Human, the third book in The Themis Files, is published by Delray Books and is now available wherever books are sold. You can follow him on Twitter at Nouvelle. This episode of Recommended is also sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. Level up your reading life with a 14-day free trial for Book Riot Insiders, the exclusive digital hangout for the Book Riot community. Book Riot Insiders is basically utopia for book nerds, and you are invited. Here are some of the awesome features. Get exclusive podcasts and newsletters. Wishlist upcoming releases you're dying to read. Enter to win swag and get access to the new release index, which is curated by Liberty Hardy, host of the All the Books podcast. The index will help you keep track of the most exciting upcoming books. There are three levels of Book Riot Insiders, short story, novel, and epic. Epic level spots open up monthly and novel level subscribers get first crack at them. So if you consider yourself a book nerd, come on inside. Go to bookriot.com backslash insiders to find out more. Tayari Jones is the award-winning author of the novels Leaving Atlanta, The Untelling, and Silver Sparrow. Her writing has appeared in Tin House, The Believer, The New York Times, and Callaloo, and she is a member of the Fellowship of Southern Writers. An American Marriage is a 2018 Oprah's Book Club selection and a deeply insightful look into the hearts and minds of three people who are at once bound and separated by forces beyond their control. My name is Tayari Jones, and Meridian by Alice Walker is my recommended. Meridian is a novel about a young woman from a small town in Georgia who wants a different life. She has a child very young by her high school sweetheart, and she just figures out that she is not cut out for motherhood in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And she leaves a child behind in a small town, I think, to live with a grandparent. And she goes to college. And when she's in college, she becomes an activist and just kind of navigates all of the intersections of race, class, gender, sexuality, as she tries to figure out what is her role in making the world a better place. And I feel that it's perhaps one of Walker's overlooked books, but I think it's so timely right now. I read it in college and I actually resisted it because it was such an 
unromantic look at the life of an activist, which is why I think it's probably essential for us right now, since so many people are engaging in activism, the questions of self-care, the gender dynamics within activist groups, all of this. But when I was in college, I kind of wanted a more romantic idea of activists where everyone wore a leather jacket and loved each other. I felt like this novel was pulling back a curtain that I wanted to keep closed. I had already read The Color Purple and adored it, and I had read some of her short stories. But this novel, Meridian, it's written in a very unconventional way. The chapters are very short. It is basically linear, but there is sometimes a kind of unmoored sense when you read it. And I just think that when I was 18, that wasn't what I was trying to experience. But now, I just can't get over how brilliant it is. Also, I've taught it to my students at Rutgers Newark University. When I taught it to undergraduates, they responded much as I did as an undergraduate. For example, Meridian, like I said, is unsuited for motherhood, and she gives the baby to her husband's mother, and she says she goes away with peace within herself because she feels that by giving him up, she saved a young, a very small person's life, I think is how it's phrased. And I just feel that my undergraduates, in their youth, this idea of a mother not mothering was just so upsetting to them that they couldn't really read it as kind of a feminist moment in the novel or a subversive moment. They're, they were just kind of appalled. Alice Walker is such a brave writer in that way that she doesn't worry about whether or not the reader, as the students say, relate to the conflict. She writes characters who do kind of unpopular things, but she's always engaging such a larger question. I often recommend it to my women friends because most people have not read. I have a first edition of the book right here. I'm looking at it. And I was able to purchase the first edition fairly cheaply because it's an underpraised novel. Most people have never even heard of it. But right now in the context of Black Lives Matter and a lot of other grassroots organizing, I mean, this idea of women struggling to be considered equals in the movement, this is... And also, you know, there are questions about, like, there are questions I guess we would now kind of call Me Too type questions about sexual coercion within these social justice movements. There's all this really interesting race questions, like Meridian is caught between um, a black man who was once her lover, but it's not now, and his wife who is white. And as a person who can identify with the wife because they're both women and identify with the husband because they're both black, she's mediating between these two at the cost of her own peace of mind. And the story begins with Meridian is so ill that she falls out, she faints, and she has to be carried sometimes from place to place, but she continues with her activism. So you already see this emotional toll of this positionality as a black female activist. It starts off with kind of, in my opinion, almost like the worst possible case scenario when you give so much to others that you short circuit your own wiring. I think that in many ways informed some of the questions that I would ask in my writing. I mean, I do think this is probably my first experience with intersectionality before I knew the term, because that's what, I mean, that's what Meridian is about. It's about being a woman and being interested in feminism and equality and being black and also interested in dismantling white supremacy 
this is what people talk about when they talk about intersectional questions, shared and split allegiances. And this is the first time I had seen it engaged in such a forthright way. I definitely don't think it's a critique of the desire for justice, but I do think that it is it is a gendered reading of the civil rights movement, which was primarily dominated by men. So absolutely, it is a critique in that way, but not a critique of the core values or the espoused values of the movement. I do find myself most engaged by books that are asking questions that are on my mind, because part of why I read is to to sort out my own mind. So I do read a number of, like I just got through reading Circe by Madeline Miller, and I don't think that people would automatically think of that as something that is similar to what I'm doing, but it is a question about women trying to sort out their principles and their actual lives. It's just that in in Miller's book, the woman in question is a goddess who's trying to be in a relationship with a mere mortal, and I suppose we can all identify with that. But when I was drawn to it, I didn't know that I would identify so closely with it, but I did. One of the things that I really love about Meridian is that it is set in Georgia, both in the rural areas and the city of Atlanta, and how she finds an entire world in a single state. And it's not a state that I think has been overly talked about in literature, but the sense of place is so strong. And she looks at Georgia as the site of, of course, Africans who were enslaved and then their descendants who are black Americans, but she also talks about the kinship between those of us who are descended from slaves and those people who are descended from the indigenous people. Like she really ties the story to the land in a multi-generational way. And that is one of Walker's many gifts. I think people think of her singularly sometimes as a feminist writer because of the color purple in her commentary on domestic violence. But she is also a Southern writer. She is a daughter of the American South. There will never be enough people reading her, but I do think she's kind of fallen out of fashion in a way. I don't hear very many people talking about her overall body of work. The color purple is such a part of the fabric of the culture that I hear people quoting the movie all the time, and I do believe that a lot of people have read it, but I don't think that people are reading her body of work in the way that I think they should. As they say, the past is prologue. We're in a moment where we're trying to become better activists, more inclusive activists. And this is a novel that is about exactly that. I just feel like what's not to like. Thanks again to Tayari Jones for joining us and recommending Meridian by Alice Walker. Her latest novel, An American Marriage, is published by Algonquin Books and is now available wherever books are sold. You can follow her on Twitter at Tayari. Next week on Recommended, one author discusses a character who spoke to her on a personal level. There's a whole passage where she's had this falling out with her older lover and and he's accusing her of these monstrous things. And and she's thinking to herself, maybe I am monstrous or not even a maybe, I am. And she says things like, I feel like I'm something evil, like something that has emerged out of a cave and I'm living off my own pain and anger and I don't even care. She sort of comes back to that and she says, I'm something born without a mother. Thanks again to our sponsors for making today's episode possible. If you like what you heard, please take a moment to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear your feedback and it helps other folks to find the show. 
You can find show notes at bookriot.com slash recommended, and you can email us at recommended at bookriot.com.